for whatever reason, there's just constant noise in the background. I'm still figuring out how to set up where I'm recording at right now. Um, I moved and I'm settled into the place and now the podcast recording studio just needs a little bit of love. So uh, fortunately, um, a friend gave me a bunch of egg cartons and I'm going to stick these up on the walls in here so that the sound is a little bit better. And then um, I have central air and heat. So every now and then that'll kick on. So I got to make sure to remember to cut that off before I start recording. So bear with me as I work through these little things that I have to now get used to um, just with the new place and transitioning the way that I go about recording episodes of the podcast. So with that all said, welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a support resource for stigmatized groups, and it's as simple as that. Um, I'm hoping that anyone who finds their way here is able to learn from the experiences of people who faced some form of stigma or trauma and learn from their healing processes and how they choose to initiate their own. So if that means someone has a positive herpes diagnosis or if someone has uh, at some point been suicidal or they're battling with mental health issues, um, I hope that you're able to find what you're looking for here. Remember, any of these stories that are shared on here from people, these are real people. So there are going to be instances where you hear like and um a lot. I do my best uh, to edit a lot of that out. And um, I also try to make myself sound good. <laughs> Um, with that also said, you know, I'm always looking for podcast guests. If you're someone who wants to share your experience, um, either dealing with an STD diagnosis or battling with mental wellness situations, I said issues earlier and I really would like to get away from calling it mental health issues. Um, and just, I want to, I want to not perpetuate stigma, uh, among groups and, Given the growth of something positive for positive people having began as a suicide prevention resource for people living with herpes and evolving into a hub of sex positive resources to where we are now in terms of working towards being able to pay for people to get therapy. It's been a fucking journey. This has been the most consistent I've been at anything and the most disciplined and I think all of the people who've supported me throughout this and especially Waxo by Dating.com group for continuing to support me being able to release weekly episodes and put as much energy as I do into these podcast recordings um, from finding guests to the marketing to the editing to the recording to the follow up. Man, this has just been it's been a dream and I'm really pumped about where things are headed moving forward and I know that I'm always excited about where we're going next but um, this has been something that's been in my control so to speak so it's not likely that I'm going to let myself down by giving myself these things to look forward to and then disappointing myself if you follow me on Instagram at H on my chest then you'll see that um, my most recent post that was just me lifting weights or something. Um, I talked about that. I talked about how when I get excited, I'm disappointed. And now I'm 
working to shift that narrative by giving myself things to look forward to and allowing myself to get excited. So um, as of late, um, I've been in an open relationship with myself and I've been taking myself out and taking time for myself to do things that I need to do. And I've also started yoga teacher training, which has also been a great tool to have in my arsenal for getting to the space of mind and, um, of mindfulness and being able to use that as a path to becoming more present and connected to myself. Um, I love y'all. I love all of the relationships I have, have had, and will have. Um, but the most important relationship that you can have is the one with yourself. And the more I begin to believe and trust that and lean into it, the more that I see it to be a real thing. And I'm seeing it all around me, just from the people who are making their way into my life, the people who are making their way out of my life, and the events that are taking place, the opportunities that are coming my way. Um, I want to hold off from talking about these opportunities until the time comes where something's been, um, where something's happened. So I'm just going to continue to be consistent in this. Um, as of now, I am a personal trainer. I'm training people and then I'm doing this podcast. And those are my two top priorities at the moment. Oh, well, and of course, like dating myself because I'm high maintenance as fuck. I'm learning and I'm a lot emotionally. I know I said that before, but I'm really understanding and identifying what that means. And so I'm taking care of myself emotionally. Um, I'm giving myself space to explore what my emotions are, why I'm feeling them, tracing them back to my childhood and then understanding it, like giving it a narrative and looking at it objectively. For instance, um, I looked at my daddy issue. My daddy issue is a disappointment. When I get excited about something, it doesn't happen and then I end up disappointing. So therefore, the narrative is getting excited uh, leads to disappointment. So why get excited if I'm just going to be disappointed? So the way that I sorted through that was just looking at the times where I've been disappointed by my dad and give that an objective narrative and the objective narrative is just that there were my my parents both of them they did the best that they could and so um it's really awesome to be able to look at it that way and say well maybe dad just had to work so that he could continue to provide for us all and so that's kind of one of the ways that I'm dealing with that. And then, like I said, giving myself things to look forward to, dating myself. And it's it's exciting. It's really nice because I know that I'm not going to let myself down. And that, well, that's very unlikely. I mean, of course, things happen, stuff comes up. But um, this is this is something that I am appreciating. Um, so that's it. That's an update on me. Um, I moved in. I'm looking to sell my car and um, I can walk to work now. So like I said, my top priorities right now are, of course, taking care of myself and then um, everything that I'm doing for something positive for positive people and personal training. So this is where I'm at. And uh, if you see me not as engaged on social media anymore, it's because I'm finally at a place where um, something positive for positive people is now going to be actually doing the things that I want to be able to do through it. Um, I'm taking a step back from reaching out to guests. I've reached out to a few people lately and, uh, and <laughs> 
we're going to touch on my mommy issue, but we'll talk about that maybe in a later episode. But uh, it's, it's just like this rejection. I don't do well with rejection. And I've learned that uh, throughout my life, I've put myself in positions where I get rejected or um, I would try my best to avoid rejection and in that not take risks. So I look at situations now where I put myself in position to be rejected and I do my best to look at it as not a risk of not getting what I want, but the risk being getting what I want. And there's like a there's a weird dynamic there between fear of rejection and then fear of getting what I want. So I got to figure that one out and how I'm going to deal with that, because when I get rejected for asking people to come on and just share their experiences and they ask things like about audience size what's the reach and things like that like I understand okay you know you have boundaries and you have things that um, you may have goals that you need to hit in terms of expanding your reach or getting your message across or making sure that this is something that's worth your time but I mean I've done this for three years and um, I've gotten the sponsorship with Waxo a year and two months ago ish. I think it was November 2018. I want to say um, with uh, Waxo dating group dating dot com group, and so it's yeah. I mean, this is something that I've done and been consistent with and put a lot into, and not asking for anything from people except that they just be good people and come on and share their stories for the sake of helping someone through their experiences so if you know people uh send them my way and if you are one of those people then come on you can be anonymous we can use a different name for you um but i want to continue to do what i'm doing and i want to do it in a way that feels good to me um, and you, of course, consensually. Oh man, I'm, I, these jokes have like been coming up terribly. <laughs> All right, we're gonna get into this part two episode with Leslie, aka Make Guy Gay again on Instagram. I chuckle every time I hear it because it's 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 interesting. Uh, the thought process she had with creating that. Uh, Leslie was a phenomenal guest and. I loved this conversation. I really did. Not to say that I haven't loved other conversations that I've had, but to explore power structures and this system of oppression that we live in and seeing how marginalized groups are affected by power and hearing her share as much as she shared about power and how it plays a role in consent. And now we're getting into part two where we're going to hear about um, how she just went against her intuition and sort of uh, surrendered, mm, submitted to the power structure that pushes this belief that you have to conform to what power wants. And so her intuition told her that the guy that she was seeing there were red flags and she ignored it and this is where we really get caught up in that gray area of consent because it's not just a clear concise yes no in the moment um it's an ongoing thing and it starts a lot sooner than the actual interaction of where a person is making an offer 
of maybe let's say a sexual advance you know there's a constant thing of consent going on like, hey can I can we go on a date do you feel safe can I touch you can do you want this like all of these kinds of things play a role in that and um, I was introduced I talked to Clarice Connolly who we had on a couple of podcast episodes in the past and she went to a sex positive Portland event and one of the things that she talked about or one of the things that she learned there was about um, like fight flight freeze and then another one I forget the name of it but it's just kind of like where your response is okay I'll do whatever you want don't hurt me and I don't know what that, I can't remember what the name of that was. Maybe like a fox or something? I don't remember. But this is a great episode to consider. And she says something in here, and it's in a promo piece if you see it. Um, her diagnosis says no for her. Like having herpes says no for her sometimes. And you'll get to listen to this episode and hear how that plays a role in this. And I hope that you get a little bit, a fraction of what I got out of recording this episode and then editing this episode because I've got notes out the butt with this one. So enjoy this episode of Something Positive for Positive People, 117 Part 2 with Leslie. And you can follow her on Instagram at Make God Gay Again, all one word. And um, I'm not going to have an outro for the episode, so we're just going to kind of close out and close out and be done. But uh, follow me on social media at H on my chest for now. I'm sure there's going to come a point in time where I say fuck this shit and just make it Courtney Brand because I'm tired of being so many people. And this was something we talked about in yoga class, too, is just like being able to be one person and not have to sort of shift your identity to different things. And I really love that because um, I would love to just be Courtney Brain as Courtney Brain, you know? All right, I'm going to stop talking now. Enjoy the episode. And so when people act like consent is always fully consensual as long as you like don't say no, it's like, no, power is designed to terrorize me and to make me manageable so that when I'm put in this situation that is wrong, I'm not going to do anything about it. That's literally how I've been socialized my whole life. And that's exactly what happened when you had that gut feeling that something was wrong with the person who gave you herpes. And, and the thing that sucks is, like, I had really been working. I have been in therapy for about six months, and I'd been really working on I have really troubled relationships with men um, for a lot of reasons. I've been in some relationships that included some intimate partner violence and I have a personal history of a lot of physical and emotional abuse at the hands of men for about you know two decades of my life and so I already have really flawed relationships with men and, and a lot of difficulty forming secure attachments anyway because of my trauma history so specifically I have an anxious preoccupied attachment style and I do recommend recommend people listening like please google attachment styles this is literally the thing my therapist told me to do that like is the most amazing thing I've done in a year of therapy. Like, it really did change my life to be able to understand why I was acting the way I was. Yeah, I'll YouTube, uh, I'll link to a YouTube video. Um, one of my friends shared it to me. So we'll link that in here too. So yeah, I have an anxious, preoccupied attachment style, which basically is I have trouble forming secure attachments because people were not consistent with me growing up. Um, I would never know if I was going to get the caregiver side or the abuser side, right? And so there are a couple ways you sort of deal with that as a child. And one of the ways is to internalize it and just start to think if you can just control your own behavior enough, 
you can control theirs by extension, right? So you become really anxious about the relationship and really preoccupied with it. And so some symptoms of this are like hypervigilance over people's facial cues. So I really have trouble interacting with people one-on-one if they're like an authority figure or I'm afraid of them or in romantic situations because I just constantly analyze their faces for any slight indication that they are unhappy in any way. And for me, this was a survival mechanism because being able to do this literally helped me survive abuse, right? Because I would never know when my abuser was just suddenly going to be abusive. Like I didn't know what face I was going to get. So being able to pay attention to like the way somebody says a word or the way that, right, they act allows me to react in ways that kept me safer, right? But the problem is now when I go into romantic situations and I have that attachment style and I have specifically a trauma with men, I am constantly looking for any slight indications that they aren't happy. And I am conditioned to regularly accommodate that, to try to make them happy. And so that connecting also with my abandonment issues of having like a parent that just like didn't care if I existed truly, I have a real issue with rejection. And so when this person who I trusted because they were sort of a fellow activist, um, they were a self-described feminist. They were, you know, we had literally spent like three hours before this interaction happened, like talking about racism and sexism and like really getting into it. And he also was not an American man. And so I think, I don't know, I think I had like this implicit idea of like, oh, maybe he's like not as sexist because America has a really toxic masculinity culture, right? Like, I don't, like my brain just thought that, I guess. But anyway, so when I got to this interaction and I sort of did ask him about his testing history and how many partners he had, I am really good about having those talks. I value it and I regularly get panels. So I had just had a panel like a month before that and I hadn't had any partners. So I knew I was all good to go. Um, And I asked him this and he sort of was like, yeah, no, I haven't slept with anybody. Um, Even though earlier in the night, he had sort of like made some vague brags. And so when he said this, my brain was kind of like, I don't think he's being honest with me that this is true. And then he told me that he didn't have any condoms. And then my brain again was like, I actually don't think that's true. Like I had that gut feeling, right? And I sort of stared him down and I had like a full moment where I was like, I just need to say no to this person. But because of my trauma history, as well as because of the fact that this person had taken a taxi halfway across the city to come get me and then paid for a taxi again to take us both across, I had this sense that, like, I shouldn't just say no to them. It was, like, politeness culture. You know, I wanted to, like, accommodate them. And so I was like, well, you know, like, I can trust this person. They're a feminist. Like, they wouldn't lie to me about this. And I literally, no joke, I asked them, I was like, you would not lie to me about this and put me at risk, would you? Those were my exact words. And he said, no, of course not. And he did ex- exactly that, right? And so after the fact, I knew that, like, I hadn't been getting herpes panels after all because that's not something that's regularly tested. And so, yeah, I could have been carrying the virus too. It was, I did get it from him. Like, we became aware of that um, based on my symptoms and everything. So I knew after that it could have sort of gone the other way. And so it wasn't necessarily that he didn't know he had herpes that was the issue. It was that I'm fairly certain that he manipulated the information and just assumed that I wouldn't call him out on it. Like, I think he knew he had power in that situation and that I would be too polite to call him out and be like, I don't think you're telling the truth. And so that was like pretty, I don't know, that was not a good experience for me. It really led to a lot of distrust because it was sort of like, well, even if these men who say that they're feminists act like this, and I did text them after when I found out and was like, hey, I don't think you were honest with me because this has happened. And he was like, yeah, you're, you're right, and sort of copped to it. And he was like, well, I'm sorry if I hurt you unintentionally. And I'm like, well, 
okay. And oh. actually tried to, like, keep sexting me and, like, wanted me to hang out with him and stuff. And I'm like, well, no, you, like, manipulated my consent. And we're pretty clear about that. Um, it is a violation of consent if you manipulated the information within which the consent was given. That's a violation. So anyway, that all is to say that there are a lot of reasons that consent, when it's judged as a yes or no, that serves power really well. Because consent is something that, like needs life context you know and when you just take the context out of it you can sort of weaponize this plausible deniability of well i didn't know you were uncomfortable like you didn't say anything even if there are all kinds of cues saying that somebody did even if i'm making eye contact with you and being like you wouldn't put me at risk like that that's pretty fucking clear evidence that i am uncomfortable right and so to push through and to lie to me about it when i've asked you point blank i actually was quite proud of myself for doing that even though I did still say yes. That was even a really big win for me to be even be able to ask, like, you wouldn't put me at risk like that, even though it didn't turn out. You say that you have this trauma with men. Like, it's ongoing, repeated trauma that appears to be with men. Yeah. What's your healing process look like? And why haven't you just yeah. stopped dating men? You know, it seems well, like, like, are you... Actually, for the most part. So this is, like, the after the fact. So I always, like, joke where I'm like, Herpes made me love myself more and was kind of like the best thing that has ever happened to my romantic life because I basically had this issue where like I would not say no to protect myself. So I knew he was protected. Like I knew I was fine. But I would not protect myself basically. And that's, I was always really responsible with my sexual health when it came to other people. But when it came to me, it like didn't, I know the face you're making. It's like, it didn't matter as much. Like I was willing to put myself at risk. No, no, the face is, so the face is in agreement because I know yeah, what no, you're I saying you're all like, too well. It's like, we would go so out of our way for other people and to do the things for them that we should do ourselves. But we feel guilty for doing things for ourselves uh, over other people, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And so basically, though, when this happened, it was a hard stop for me. I could no longer engage in this cyclical kind of sexual exploitation with men because it is a cycle. So that's another thing with, for people who have like an abuse history. Like if you experienced a chaotic environment, you tend to drift towards that. Like actually having a stable environment can be really deeply uncomfortable because you're sort of constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. And so it's actually sort of like more comforting and familiar to constantly be in the roller coaster of like a really good high and like the state was great with this person and then the low of them like treating you like shit after and to just like keep engaging with the cycle over and over and over. And that is sort of where I was at. And I was also deeply lonely because I had just moved states. It was, I think I'd been in grad school for a year and a half and I just don't feel like I belong in the institution. I'm a first generation. I'm very working class. And so like, I don't know, the elites here were really like, I wasn't making friends. And so my romantic life had become an outlet and I just wasn't able to get myself out of that cycle. But when I got my diagnosis, there was this hard stop of like, oh wait, I am going to disclose to every single person. And most people, most men are going to reject me. And I do think that that's true, that straight men tend to not be as accommodating about this as women are. I think women are often more understanding and I think queer people are often more understanding because we have multiple marginalizations, right? Whereas for a lot of, especially straight white men, like they don't experience a lot of marginalization and it's very easy for them to reject other people for sort of superficial reasons. And I also think a lot of straight men, frankly, have a lot of sexual immaturity because they are trained that way by our society. 
um, and a lot of a lack of emotional intelligence in general. And so, but yeah, so once I got herpes, it was like this hard stop of like, oh, wait a minute. Like it, it was sort of like herpes said no for me in a good way, because it was like these people who rejected me for this reason were not people that I admired the values of generally speaking. I didn't think they were mature enough generally speaking. And so like the fact that they would then say no to me, it actually got me to the point where it's like, Oh, now I'm not sleeping with people who are going to treat me like shit and exploit me. Because also most people aren't willing to take a risk like that for like a casual hookup with somebody they just plan to use. And so it was funny because like being able to stop this cycle I had always sort of had this issue where I had felt like for some reason my queer relationships weren't as satisfying to me. And it's not because I don't love women or non-men. It wasn't because I didn't find those to be valuable. It's because I had this very, and I think still some underlying homophobia where there was this sort of like social reward to dating men that I didn't get elsewhere. It was like this validation from patriarchy that I didn't get anywhere else. And once I got out of that cycle, I was sort of able to like break the days, like break out of it and be like, oh, whoa, like, wait a minute. Like I knew these people were treating me like shit, but like, wow, I genuinely don't have to engage with that. And now I actually have the emotional space and self-confidence and the capacity to set boundaries to actually really explore my relationships more deeply with like queer people, um, which has been really rewarding for me because yeah, I haven't really been dating very much in general but specifically I haven't really been dating men at all um not because there aren't good men out there but because like the standards that I'm setting now are just so much higher you would think you get herpes and your standards drop like no mine like shot up um which I think is really great and it wound up being um a really great thing for my mental health I think uh and my wellness just in general like I I'm a lot happier and more secure in myself than I used to be. Yeah. And in your queerness and finding people who just tend to more so value their relationships more, I think there's a level of like honesty there. There's an honesty with yourself about who you like, why you like a person, what you like about them. And there's like a, I call it a cosmic level of attraction versus like a superficial five sensory level of attraction. Well, and I think it's because my relationships that I was seeking were no longer response to trauma, right? Like that was the issue with a lot of my relationships with men is I was looking for some kind of healing relationship with a man that would somehow like offset all this trauma that I'd had with men, right? That was sort of the implicit thing that my brain was thinking, but when you sort of seek a relationship from a foundation of trauma, it's going to be like a fucked up relationship in most cases. Right. And I think also there's a really a tendency to trauma bond with people, which can be really dangerous um, where it's like, just because you have shared trauma doesn't mean that you should be together, especially when you're sort of feeding off of that. And so being able to start a relationship from a place of having high expectations, having boundaries, having the clear expectation of clear communication. Like, I'm sorry, like, if you can't talk to me openly about sex at this point, like, I'm not having sex with you. Yes, yes. Um, So just, I think, having that pause and having that pause in my dating life and having the ability to sort of build up my other friendships here so that I don't feel as insecure and I don't feel the need to have a romantic partner and to build myself up. Like, it was, it just wound up being a really, really valuable experience. And I also think, like, sort of, made my feminist praxis better. Um, I think that feminism is so healing for people. That's one of the reasons that I love teaching intro to women and gender and sexuality studies is like, I just find like the space of my 
students to be so healing. I like cry all the time. I love them so much. <laughs> um, it's truly such an amazing location. And I think the queer community often is so soft hearted and it's sort of this response of like the world doesn't want us to exist. So we sort of develop this like resistant happiness and joy and like love for one another, like in a world where we're not supposed to be able to love, there's this sort of surplus of love that you get in our community a lot of the time and so it has just been like really rewarding to be able to like explore my relationships with other queer people more and not feel inadequate because i'm not meeting a heterosexual imperative all right last thing so i get questions about queer sex and you can feel free not to contribute to this if you don't want to but because we've had a lot of queer non-straight people on the podcast who have sex with multiple genders or um they have they don't just have heterosexual sex and i just never thought to ask them about how they keep their partners safer or some of their safer sex practices so are you open to sharing some of that here yeah totally um i think it's really i actually think it's really interesting because i think queer sex and specifically like sex between women identified people or people with vaginas i think it actually sort of poses some interesting questions for our consent framework also around herpes because people usually don't disclose if you have like cold source people don't feel the need to disclose that when they're having sex even though you can get genital herpes from oral sex like that's very common and i actually know a lot of people that that's how they got it and so i think it's really interesting because like when you have lesbian sex or sex between people with vaginas like oral sex is like sort of the main component of that right and so i think it's interesting because it's like you know should we consider oral herpes to be like an sti that needs to be disclosed as well like i I guess that's kind of more of a question that comes up with my relationships with people who have vaginas because i know that that is more likely going to be sort of the dynamic there is that it's probably going to be oral sex transmitted if it happens and so that's something i definitely think about again i uh, I always disclose to people um, just because I'm like, well, I would like to be told. Um, so I, I think that some of the stuff with oral sex is kind of like unavoidable. Obviously, you can use like dental dams. Like there are forms of protection. Frankly, like nobody uses them. Uh, like, no I, can't, I can't say that. Honest, like no one does. I will say like if you're sharing sex toys of some kind, disinfect them all the time. That's common anyway. Like I think most people who are having sex with toys know that. that if you're going to share a toy, you need to make sure it's clean and that you're sanitizing it. And I think I also think about it a lot because people with vaginas are at a higher risk of contracting it. I'm currently on suppressive therapy and I have been for a while. So luckily the risk for me is like sort of less. Yeah, it is an interesting question to ask about protection with queer sex because I know at least yeah, when I have sex with people who have who have vaginas, it seems like there's a little bit less you well, can do about protecting. So here's another thing, too. I think that when people may hear queer sex or when heterosexual identifying people hear queer sex, they immediately jump to, um, like, having sex with the same gender or having, like, a man having sex with another man or something like that. Or like, but, anybody with a vagina. Y- yeah. Or even, like, non-binary people with penises. I mean, that's queer sex also. Yeah. And it also involves, we're talking about even using toys in the bedroom. We're talking about um, acts that may fall outside of the lines of heteronormative intercourse, penis, <laughs> in vagina, sex, you know? So we're talking like, about... Like, oral sex for people with vaginas, I guess, is outside of the norm, which is so sad. 
I cannot tell you how, yeah, I won't even get into it. Oh, no, you have to now. Like, you you shouldn't have said that. I like, talk a really big talk about, like, their sexual behaviors. But, like, in my experience, (laughs) very rarely, like, back up that part of it. Very rarely. Very rarely. Uh And usually when they do, like, it's clear that they don't practice and they, like, expect to be, like, good at it. And I'm like, (laughs) you think I got this? I was just born with my skills? You think I just, like popped like into existence and knew how to like give a blowjob like no like you have to practice but they don't think that they should have to all right so we're gonna call this episode practice makes perfect no yeah but yeah i mean that's when we when we talk queer sex like that's what we mean we're we're talking about more so uh just not your traditional sex you know like there's at least like not the sex that cis heterosexual Matrix, not the sex that that is considered sex within. Well, I also think it's really funny because like a lot of people who are cis heterosexual do not consider oral sex to be like real sex, quote unquote, which is really funny because again, for people who are like having sex with people who have other vaginas, it's like, how? Like, are you just saying that I never have real sex? Like, is that like because there's not a penis involved? Like, I've never, like, I guess I've never had real sex with a woman. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. It's. Hmm. Straightness is a real clusterfuck of like, <laughs> contradictions. We'll just say that. All right. That covers everything on my end. I see that you were scribbling and you had your notepad. Did we get to cover everything you wanted to cover, Leslie? Yeah, I think we hit everything that I wanted to cover. I did just want to plug again my meme page. It's super dope. I do a lot of education. If you like today, talking about like decolonization, anti-blackness, capitalism, anti-capitalism. I talk about that a lot. I do do some herpes advocacy there now. People have been like surprisingly really into that the last couple of days. I was kind of surprised that people were like really that stoked on it. I do have a personal essay up there that I've written about my experience um, with diagnosis that, and I also just want to be clear. The only reason I'm not attaching my real name to this podcast is because of my meme page, because I'm trying to do that somewhat anonymously. I like the second thing that I did after I got diagnosed was like publish an article with my real name all about like my diagnosis. So like, I have no shame about it being attached to my real name. Like that's not the reason I'm like slightly anonymous on here, just to be clear. Um, but yeah, like follow me at make God gay again. Um, we have a cute little community and yeah, hopefully people learn a lot. We seem to have like really positive people. There's really positive people on my page, which I love. Why, why make God gay again? Last question. That's it. And then we'll close out. <laughs> I, oh man, it was, I just really love the idea of like ruining that phrase for white evangelicals because like that is just the worst possible perversion of make God, make America great again is like make God gay. That is like Mike Pence's worst nightmare. Um, and I also think it's funny because then the abbreviation is MAGA instead of MAGA, which also sort of ruins it. And so I like, I really thought about it. I'm like, oh, maybe I should like eventually make like hats, like red hats, maybe with like rainbow trim that say like make God gay again and just like ruin red hats for like racist white people i would love to like just ruin that for them so <laughs> also god is for sure gay because dude literally invented gay sex so i'm pretty sure so okay we'll that's just a, that there. that's a hell of a way to like incorporate that <laughs> i'm just saying like you know you can't yeah. be like oh yeah our lord god is completely heterosexual even though he invented gay sex <laughs> right like, not that I'm religious. Part of this is a joke, but I mean, you see the contradiction in thought there. Oh, thank you, Leslie. We'll link in the show notes for how you can connect with Leslie. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Courtney. It was great talking to you. Thank you. Okay, goodbye.
That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. You can connect with me on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Reddit, at H on My Chest. Visit the website, Something Positive for Positive People, at spfpp.org. Tell someone about the podcast, please. Leave a review, leave a rating, subscribe to the show. The more engagement we get from you all, the sooner we can start paying for people to get therapy after their diagnosis. And we can also put together these events. Um, One of my goals for 2020 is to be able to travel around to different sex positive organizations. There's one here in St. Louis, Sex Positive STL. And um, you can go back to it will be uh, episode 112. So you can get an inside listen on what those will look like. I got with a nurse, a doctor. I'm sorry, she's a doctor now. And we talked about herpes. We got a group of people together at a coffee shop in a sex positive space where people were able to come in and share their experiences with herpes. The doctor and I shared our experiences and she brought the medical statistical aspect of it. And I brought the experience based aspect from all of the interviews that I've done on something positive for positive people. But my goal is to be able to go to different organizations and put those kinds of things together for people who are living with herpes or who are sex positive or who are just interested in sexual health to be able to come together and share their experiences and just have presence with one another this is an ever-growing community people will always find their way in here so it's important to me to make it more known and easily accessible for the people who find it so that they can get here as soon as possible without having to navigate their diagnosis alone till next time stay sex positive